JJ, before we get started with this podcast, yes. guess what's happening? I know, I know. We are changing <laughs> the name of this podcast. Yes, we are. And it's going to be called Business Made Simple. That happens January 1 of 2021. Yes. And uh, it's called Building a Story Brand Now. It will be called Business Made Simple. You and I will still be hosting yep. it. We're bringing on Kula. Yep. And we just want everybody to know we haven't been fired. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's also a book called Business Made Simple. If you went to college and graduated and spent a lot of money and still don't know how to run a business, I wrote a book for you. <laughs> if you don't feel super confident about running a business, it's a book called Business Made Simple. It is 60 daily entries that will give you the equivalent of an MBA. One of the other reasons you don't remember anything from college is because you did macro learning. You sat for two and three hours and listened to lectures and took big tests. Try 10 minutes a day, slowly metabolizing information about how you make money running a business or growing a business or in your career. Micro learning is the key, and this book will do that for you. 60 daily entries, 60 videos. At the end of two months, you're going to be smarter than anybody in your office. So go get the book today on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. But now, we're going to start the podcast. Normally, JJ, we would yeah. introduce the podcast by saying, you know, yeah. welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you lose, noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow uh -huh, your business. Uh -huh. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. JJ Peterson. But today, and I we say are hi. not going to and say, say that. And I say hi, Don. I say hi, Don. And we're going to completely no, change it up. We're blowing it up. <laughs> because <laughs> this is... Because I can't stop smiling, first right. off. <laughs> that's right. This is uh, a day where we have uh, a dear and old, old friend Very. of mine. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Matthew McConaughey. A lot of people don't know this. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey and I go back, gosh, what is it now? It's got to be 45, 45 minutes. 45 minutes. Easily 45 minutes. Easily 45 minutes. Because I just yeah. met him. Yeah. And we, uh, we just interviewed him. And we oh interviewed him about gosh. his new book, Green Lights, which is a memoir. And it is wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it is really genuinely funny. Yep. It is genuinely full of wisdom. Yeah. Uh, it's genuinely full of help. The, the metaphor is that you hit red lights in life, you hit yellow lights, you hit green lights. Yep. And a lot of those red lights, you got to turn into green lights somehow. It's about events happening in your life yeah. that are positive, negative, and neutral, and your ability to change your perspective on that and see a red light as a green light yeah. in order to become happy. That, that's, that's, a, that's a rough yeah, yeah, yeah. estimate of But that's of based where on the title. Going, yeah, yeah. Except it's Matthew McConaughey teaching you oh that. Oh, my gosh. And I will amazing. say, I will be very honest here. I was a fan before. Like, yeah, I was a fan. Before the interview. Before the interview and the before the book. After, super fan. Yeah. I mean, genuinely. And, and, well, we, and we, you know, in we, a way we've got a great that, podcast. We have a lot of listeners, yeah. but this is not, you know, uh, the Tonight Show. And he his humility to come on and just spend some time with us and talk about life from knowing that there were, you know, 100,000 business leaders yep. listening. Yep. Uh, and to talk about his book from that perspective, I thought was just incredibly humble. Anyway, you're, you don't want to hear JJ and I nope. anymore. <laughs> no. You want to hear my interview with Matthew McConaughey. Here it goes. Guy's got that Skype tune in my ear now. Dun, dun, dun. We're obviously just completely honored and geeked out that you'd come. If you want to get started, we can jump right in. Let's rock. Okay, it, your book came out of years of journaling, years of keeping a journal and a diary. And I'm curious, uh, you know, for your first memoir, how much did that help? How much did the journaling help? Why journal? What did that do for you? Yeah. Um. <sighs> So I, I mean, I started off writing in a journal at 14 years old, probably for the same reason any adolescent starts off. 
why'd Gretchen Donnelly break up with me? <laughs> I got these pimples on my face. Well, you know, yeah. Um, asking a lot of questions, you know, and trying to figure out what the heck was going on, going through awkward time. And then I noticed around um, in a year in Australia where I went away, where I was all alone, actually journaling and writing letters became sort of my only form of communication, almost a Socratic dialogue with myself. And then in my early 20s, I was in college and I was in a time where I was catching a lot of green lights, meaning that my relationships were strong. I was making good grades. I enjoyed school. I was looking forward to Monday mornings. I had some jobs, some cash in my pocket. And I remember catching myself going, you haven't been writing in your journal as much now that you feel like you're kind of, you got it. Your things are rolling. And I was like, I think you better write now. You better keep writing in your journal now and dissect the success that you feel like you're having hmm. uh, because it might be useful later. And my hunch was correct because as we, as it happens, I got off my frequency again. I got in a rut, but I was able to look back at my journals where I had written down things when I was dissecting my success. What were my habits? Who was I hanging out with? What was I drinking? What was I eating? How much sleep was I getting? Where was I going that helped me recalibrate and get back on track at times? Yeah. So that's why I started journaling. I kept them for 36 years up to now. I threatened to go away and see if any, if they were worthy of a book years ago, but never had the courage to do so. And finally, when I got the courage to do so, I went away and looked at them and found the stories and the prescribes and the poems, prayers and bumper stickers and people and places that are in the book now. And that theme of green lights came out of that because that was a central thing that I, that I noticed throughout the book. The metaphor is you hit red lights in life, you hit yellow lights, you hit green lights, and you talk about converting red lights into green lights. You talk about converting sometimes pain, sometimes being shut down into opportunities. You turn them into personal growth and you, and without those, you probably wouldn't have succeeded in the ways that you have. I'm curious about two things. One is the connection between journaling. How much introspection is there in taking a red light and turning it into a green light? And the second question is, why don't most people do it? Why don't most people sit down and process the hard things in their life or the mistakes in their life or the injustices in their life and redeem them somehow? Look, I noticed, and even the writing of this book, going back through the journals, there were times where... Yeah, journaling, I saw, I, I found a consensus of the way I approach things. So when I would get into a rut or a hardship, I at the very least had new in my in my bones that, okay, there's a lesson in this. I don't know what the hell it is right now, right? but there's a lesson. In it. it will have this red light time in my life. This crisis will have a green light asset to it later on. So just even knowing that and being aware that that's going to happen, even though if I don't know what it is now, trust that I'll figure it out tomorrow, next week, next year, or maybe on my deathbed, but I'll figure it'll, it'll reveal itself. That's one thing. Um, I did find tools with which how I was making decisions and succeeding at times in my life. And also noticed when I was in a rut and not succeeding that there were times I was not following those tools. I write about one of the tools in the book when faced with the inevitable get relative. Well, we're in a great inevitable time of disrupt disruption right now with, with, with COVID. So how do we get relative? Well, some of us are going to get relative by actually saying, I'm just keeping my head above water till we get it out the other side. Another truth is that there's great opportunities right now to take advantage of. It's a real great time to take risks. So how do we get relative with an inevitability? When do we decide in, with ourselves that something is inevitable? Um, that old Confucius thing. Let me worry about what I can and not worry about what I, what I can't control. So I found tools. I created tools as I saw consistent themes uh, in my life. I noticed I've been writing about the same thing for, for since I, I write about the same things now, culture and 
and the existence and existential questions now that I was asking when I was 14 years old. I said, oh, you're essentially the same guy. Your questions have evolved. Um, you've got new questions, no fewer questions, but you've got um, you've got a more mature view of things and understandings how and a, more of a better understanding of how to approach failures, hardships and even success. That's another one. How do you handle it? How do you handle success when things are going well? Yeah, I, I'm halfway through the book. First of all, it's impeccably well written. You are an inc- you are a wonderful storyteller just from an entertaining entertainment perspective. The, the two things that I see influencing this book, and you tell me whether or not I'm, I'm on to it as a writer, one is poetry. And I'm curious about your early interest in poetry. I know you read a lot of Lord Byron. When I tell young people, when they say, what do, what, how do I become a writer? How to become a good writer? I say two things. Study marketing and memorize poetry. Okay. If you study how to hook somebody... You can keep them turning the page. And if you study poetry, you'll have an economy of words mm-hmm. that will uh, be an enjoyable experience to read. And if you can just know those two things. Now, these days, you don't have to study marketing. You can just study story and narrative structure. Blake Snyder and Robert McKee and Christopher Booker and all this stuff. But any good marketing is a good story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, that's just how you hook people. We're the, and then the other influence was Viktor Frankl. And I hadn't heard you mention him in the book, but is, is he an influence to you? I, I no, I don't know. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know. He will be. You're gonna. He's gonna be from now on. I'm writing this down. Victor Frankl. Yeah, man's search for meaning. Okay. He developed a personality theory that contended with Sigmund Freud while he was at Auschwitz. Okay. Lost his wife and his parents and his child in the concentration camps. Okay. And that's where he wrote one of the most beautiful personality theories, if you will, of all time. So, I, I, but, but you think like he thinks. And of course, okay. he's a genius. He's an absolute genius. So I mean that as a compliment. Super. Okay, can I re- I'm going to read you a quote from your book, and then I've got a question. Yeah. The sooner we become less impressed with our life, our accomplishments, our career, our relationships, the, the prospects in front of us, the sooner we become less impressed and more involved with these things, yeah. the sooner we get better at them, we must be more than just happy to be here. Yeah. Okay, there's two questions in here. One is, how does Matthew McConaughey not be impressed with himself? Okay. I, I, I have no clue because if I looked like you and had your talent, I would be very impressed with myself. So how do you, <laughs> how do you avoid that? Um, and why? Why should you? I mean, I, you say that ego is healthy, and I, I also think ego is healthy. Yes. I think anything out of hand is going to wreck your life. So ego has to be kept in check. But if you don't have one... You, it's going to be very hard for you to impact the world in a positive way. Yeah. But what is the difference between being confident and being impressed? Okay. Let me go to another word, humility. And I like Jordan Peterson's uh, definition of that. It's, 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 it's knowing you have more to learn. Hmm. I can have confidence in that. I can go, oh, I'm confident, but I, yes, yes, I have more to learn. But that in no way made me regress and go backwards. My definitions, earlier definitions in my life of humility, I always meant like, well, to be humble, but nobody wants to be humiliated. Right. And if I'm humble, wait, where does that lead into BS, false modesty? And actually, that's that's not sincere. Or be egoless. What do you mean, you mean egoless? What do you mean? No, I. We need the I, or I don't have any damn judgment. <laughs> right. I don't have an right. identity without that. Less impressed, more involved is something that came to me after my father passed away. We can be so impressed. If I'm talking to you right now, say I have such a reverence for you. I'm so impressed with you. I can't be really be involved in this conversation. I can't give you straight back eye right. to eye. So the things that we are so impressed with and have such reverence for, mortal things in my mind, take them from reverence down to eye level, but maintain the respect 
Now, I can highly respect you and be involved, but if I have such a reverence for you, I can't really be involved in the situation. You can't change. If you're, if you're impressed with yourself, you can't learn, you can't grow, you can't change. You can't get better. Well, I think if you're impressed, it's how long. Look, I, I, I try to give myself moments of good. good all right, there we go. Good job. Hey, you were good at that. I try to I try to get that, give myself that. Got to watch it. I don't want to walk around being too impressed with myself because yeah. it's like, well, what are you doing? You're floating above the class. You're missing out being involved in the evolution and taking it to the next. It's uh, again, it goes along with that. A roof is a man-made thing. Well, if we're overly impressed with somebody else or ourselves, we've created a roof. Yeah. Because I'm just I'm just I'm just leaning against the roof because I'm just up here just impressed. And when in fact I'm like. No, there's no roof. Take the roof off. Most of the times when we're so impressed or we're Icarus and thinking that we're flying too close to the sun. Yeah. That, that wax ain't even close to melting, baby. It's just maybe a little warm. You were a little <laughs> arrogant and thinking it's being so impressed. It ain't near as hot as you thought it was. You got a lot further. Yeah, yeah, you can yeah. get a whole lot closer to the sun. <laughs> <laughs> that's an amazing that's an amazing thing to say icarus could have got a lot icarus was way further up than you are keep flying exactly <laughs> exactly you know matthew is talking about some themes in life here that i think are really important we have a new resource at business made simple university it's a new course that we are dropping onto the platform and it's called hero on a mission i just filmed it about two months ago we're super excited about it while you watch the course you actually create your life plan it also comes with a daily planner that you can print out and use for life but you can also take your small group through it if you're part of a church small group if you're part of a book club you can sit one saturday morning from about 9 a.m to around noon maybe one o'clock and each of you will have a life plan. It's a community building exercise. Be COVID friendly in this day and age, but get together with your quarantine pod and take advantage of the pause, the yellow light that, that culture is in right now, and come out of this thing rip-roaring, ready to go with a, a direction for your life. You want to do that at HeroOnAMission.com. Get a little life planning party going, make some nachos, get some appetizers, maybe a little whiskey if you do it in the afternoon and create your life plans. Time to direct our lives rather than let fate direct our lives. We dance with fate. Fate is not a dictator. Fate just wants to dance. And you have a lot of influence about where your life goes. Heroonamission.com. Well, it's Thanksgiving around here. Not sure if it's Thanksgiving out there. Whenever you're listening to this, we just want to take this opportunity here. Business Made Simple and StoryBrand to say thank you. You. Thank you for not just being our customers and, and engaging our material to grow your business, but thanks for being willing to grow a business in the first place. Thanks for contributing to our economy. Thanks for creating jobs. Thanks for creating health care. Thanks for uh, letting some of the people in your company spend more time with their families and their kids. We know that it is courageous hard work and that you sacrifice every day. We know that because we have to do the same thing. We are running a business right there alongside you. It is our pleasure then to give you the resources that you need to make that job easier and help you be more successful. We are grateful for the relationship that has been built over the years between you, the business owner, and us, the obsessive nerds who think about how a business really works and how it grows. We hope that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. God knows you deserve it this year. <laughs> you deserve to be with friends and family and eat that extra piece of pecan pie. God bless you. Thank you so much for being with us on this journey. Well, we couldn't do it without you. We'd just be lonely talking to ourselves. We're so grateful that you're out there listening. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving with the people that you love.
I started a book recently. The first line of the book, and you, and it was amazing when I read this in yours. The first line of my new book is this: Fate is a terrible writer. And by that I mean don't trust it. Get involved. Dance with fate. See if you can guide it somewhere. Don't control it, but guide it somewhere. You say. I was done with the excuses that fate allows. I was ready to be the boss of me, the one to blame and acquit. I needed to own that it was my hands on the steering wheel. What part does fate play in your life? Enemy, villain, partner to dance with, your trusted guide? Partner to dance with. I mean, because look, at the beginning of your question, it was not fate. But now, back there when you started that question, it was fate. Right. It's a science looking back. It's a mystery going forward. That's an amazing perspective. Yeah. But all the dots add up to this exact moment with every moment we, 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 we live. But going forward, it's always a mystery. So fate is, I believe, right behind, maybe still, maybe hold hands with, but maybe just a half a step behind a self-determination. It's all been written once we did it. Yeah. Now, that is an, is a, is an art, that dance between responsibility and freedom, fact, self-determination, and fate. I mean, I was going through like that time as I was like, okay, because I've seen it. We've all seen it. Oh, inshallah. What a good Lord willing. Right, right. Hey, 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 if it's to be, it's to be. Well, now hang on a second. <laughs> I don't know. The God I believe in is going, I need a little more effort uh, down there. But you got your hands on the wheel. I may be laying the highway right in front of you as you drive it, but you got your hands on the wheel. Steer. Yeah. If not, if it's all fate, okay, go run all the red lights. Oh, okay, to do. Well, say as la vie, BS. Give me a break. And I don't believe as a believer that God then goes, that's what I want. You believed in fate. No, I mean, he's saying that we have responsibility and we are responsible for our fate. At the same time, I know I've been reminded many times that, oh, the grace with which uh, uh, people, that, that things have happened that people would call coincident that, yes, I had the intention, but it maybe didn't go the way I wanted, or I intersected with something that I cannot explain. Do I think it had something to do with a lot of my success? Damn right I do. Been very intentional. Do I think that I know I've been graced with good luck and good fortune and opportunities appeared in front of me that I saw and took advantage of? Yes. So it's constant dance. Yeah. It's like I could talk about in biology and giddy up. You know, we were born with innate abilities, but you got to hustle. Yeah. Some people have the innate ability, but they don't want to work for it. Some people want to work as hard as they could, but guess what? Sorry, I'm five foot six, can't be an NBA basketball player. Doesn't matter how hard I work. We're most successful when you have both, but you don't rely on the first, meaning when you have innate ability and giddy up, but you're not relying on the innate ability. An acquaintance wanted to get coffee with me uh, back when I lived in Portland, Oregon, and he, he made the comment after a half hour or so talking over coffee, he said, um, well, you know, life is meaningless. And it was in sort of a depressed place. And I said something I shouldn't have said. I said, well, what if life is not meaningless? What if just your life is meaningless? <laughs> and what I meant is, what if what you've done with it? Right. What if the story that you've written with your life is not interesting even to yourself? Mm. And some of that is actually your responsibility. I think, do you feel that way? Well, and you said a good thing. What if it's not, what if it's not, what if it is meaningless? It's not, but it's not meaningless to you because it's not interesting. If it's not just meaningless to you, that's what I think is the most interesting about that comment. Look, I think most men's midlife crises are because they actually don't see or give credit to what they've actually done. Oh, that's fascinating. I actually think they're just not seeing clearly and they're yeah. disinterested or, oh, that was nothing. You know, maybe you're not giving enough credit to what you've done, what you've built to get to the time when you're going, what the hell am I doing? I got to change. I got to move on to a different chapter in my life. On the topic of midlife crisis, 
most men who have, many men, not most, who have accomplished what you've accomplished, many of them are on their second and third wives. Mm. You're not. You're very much mm-hmm. in love with your wife, uh, and, and you love your family. You didn't jump off into a different story once you succeeded. You brought people with you, and I would imagine she brought you in many ways to, to who you are and where you are. Why did you choose a story, and what gave you the wisdom, if you will allow me that, to choose a story that is not only meaningful and inspirational on the surface, but in my opinion, is also very deep and meaningful in reality. Right. Where did you get the wisdom to do that? Why didn't you fall for the shiny, glitzy, whatever that so many people fall for? Well, I think the reality came before the surface, meaning, you know, I say this in the book, the only thing I ever knew I wanted to be was a father. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 to find a woman that I wanted to have children with, that I, we had the same moral bottom line, that we had the same values, that has always been more important and a higher priority for me than, oh, I want to become a really great actor, rich and famous. Right. I want those other things too. And to some extent have become those. But the, you know, like for instance, when I say first had children, that immediately became number one, that immediately in, in, in acting as much as I was ambitious and I am of a career became number two. When I started to create a family, I got better at number two. Yeah. My supported home did not where I trust me, I had the fear. Whoa, wait a minute. Now I can't be completely obsessed and single minded. I got these other things to tend to that need me. Wait a minute. I'm still working on, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not the best at sharing experiences, first time experiences with with other people. I want to go do it myself. I need 100 percent of it. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But to have a family and then have Camilla as my wife who supported me and loves what I do and sees what I love about it and those fuel on my fire and kicks me in the backside. And when I want to do three films instead of two, because I don't think I'm going to have enough time, she's the one that tells me, why don't you reach down and grab your pair, big boy, go handle it. <laughs> you know, she's the one. So yeah. she gets me, you know, um, but that made me better at number two. That made me better at my career. Now, some people hear that and they go, wait a minute. If my job becomes number two, then I'm not as concerned or as, uh, I'm not going to work as hard at it. No, I find I worked harder in be- and, and smarter and in better ways. I, I had more gravitas. I had more gravity. I had more sense of my own lineage taking that two roles. I had more sense of my future taking that two roles. My w- words meant more. My performance, each, I was not for rent. <laughs> I was now, I, I owned myself and I had something that I was shepherding that I was responsible for. I got children. I just became immortal. I got children. Anybody, parent who has a child becomes immortal. There's great gravitas. Yeah. And I think that came across in my work. You know, I, do you remember that scene? Did you read Steve Martin's book, Born Standing Up? No. Oh, it's beautiful. You'll cry your eyes out at the end. He just, you know, he, he talked about getting famous and 10,000 people in an arena laughing their butt off as social an experience as you can possibly have. And then being walked to a car, driven to a hotel, walked to the hotel room, door shuts behind him and he's completely alone in the universe. Right. And the contrast between those two things. And I thought when you were talking about your wife and family, I thought, what a, of course, Steve Martin is a wonderful human being who, who has a lovely family. Now, this is when he was very young. But, uh, the contrast between closing the door in a hotel room being completely alone and having somebody who really knows you right. and is impressed and admires you for with all your faults on display must be a beautiful thing. Well, it, it is. And it continues to be something that obviously we 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 work at. You know, it's not kumbaya. Right. Um, um, it's and, and nor do we want it to be. 
Yeah. Look, she did. She said a wonderful thing before we ever had children. As soon as we decided, okay, she was going to get off birth control. We're going to have children. She goes, one condition. I remember putting her hands on my shoulder. She looked at me and she goes, you go, we go. And I remember in my head going that same thing I was talking about a minute ago. Wait a minute. When I go to work, I take my Airstream or rent a place. I go, it's just me and my dog. That's it. That's all I do. I don't go out on school nights when I'm working. That's all I do is study and go to work. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. that's And then just as I'm thinking that, my ego's about to get going too far, right? This other thing yeah. I'm you just say yes, ma'am. And I went, yes, ma'am. And it was the greatest <laughs> thing I could have done because – you know, on many levels, children and 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 my my wife, if I'm going to do a project, how I pitch it to her, she can tell in 30 seconds if if it's like if I'm hooked, and if I'm not, she's like, no, nah, I don't I don't I don't get it yet. Yeah, which means I got to go back to the drama. And if I get to where I can't pitch it to her, where she goes, I understand why you have to go do this. Let's go. Then it's probably I shouldn't. It's a good measuring board. I probably shouldn't go do it. Or coming home from work and the kids don't care about the headspace I was in all day at work, but they're asking. Great little kid questions that kids ask their dad to prop that proverbial bubble and go, ah, very, this is actually the big show for me. What I was doing is number two on the list. And it's helping me do number two on the list better than I was before I had family. You know, you're, you're a charming guy. You're a winsome guy. When you talk about your family, there's just a trust, a trustworthiness that comes through. That is really, it's just really comforting to hear you say that. I want to ask one final question. I wake up almost every morning, four or five days a week. And I do that old Stephen Covey exercise where I read my obituary. I wrote my own obituary and I read it and it reminds me where this story is going. And then the, the language I use is then you get up and put a little something on the plot nice. every day. Just put a little something on the plot, move it forward. And hopefully today you got a paragraph of life that heads toward that obituary, which yes. I'm not afraid, I'm not ashamed to say is quite glowing of myself. Right, <laughs> as it should way. be. Right? You, you talk about this in the book. Relatively, we are living. Life is our resume. It is our story to tell and the choices we make write the chapters. Can we live in a way where we look forward to looking back? Inevitably, we are going to die. Our eulogy, our story will be told by others and forever introduce us when we are gone. The sole objective, begin with the end in mind. What does your ending look like? I mean, hopefully, Matthew, 50 years from now, you make it to be 100 years old. What are people saying about you? Hey, he left... Uh... He left some shining lights, first and foremost, hopefully through my children and their children. Secondly, through through my work. I think it will, will be somewhat remembered for the work I've done in films and TV. Um, um, and then this next chapter, though, is is, is I'm, I'm, I'm trying to challenge myself about who am I in this life, in this big show, the one called Life, the one yeah. where action has been called one time. For me, on November the 4th, 1969, action was called. And there will be cut in this take one time and that's whatever day it is that i die and that eulogy of this life that i'm living will introduce me forever when i'm gone i'm challenging myself right now to say hey art does it need to? okay i make movies they're capsulized they you, they come to your theater or your living room this is a book it's in this book it's pages on a book it's an item it's permanent but in this impermanence of our life what i'm doing live who's the man i am every day mm-hmm Taking care of my family. How's my, how can my voice and my meaning get, get, scale out? Yeah. How can I how can I share things that can scale by my actions, not even my words on a page, but what we're doing right now. Even a book has one filter between you and I. You and I right now have no filter besides that we're doing it virtually. It's a direct communication. 
It's live without yelling cut. Who's the man I can be in this big show that's live without cut? And do I have the confidence to catch that my more transcendent self that I'm chasing? Um, to catch him and then re-up the stakes once I get there. Catch him and re-up those stakes. You know, I, I don't know what my eulogy will say, but I do. I'm just in the time of my life where I'm at least going, no, talk about writing the headline first and then writing the story. Yeah. What's that headline? You know, I do this every time when I do a movie before I, before I make it. I sit with the director and the producers. Everybody, what's the poster look like? Hmm. The poster changes. The headline changes. Your eulogy will change, but it's still in the general direction that you aspired to be. And that is, I believe, as good as it gets. Meaning we always, you know, th- that old line, there's no, there's no best, just better. If we can get a little bit better each day, if, I mean, if we see ourselves as an a-, a singular aspiration, if we see our country, America, as an aspiration, always chasing yet, yeah. that's what we're doing. And that's as good as it gets. That's that's what excites me. Those is just to realize. I think when we realize that that's as good as it gets. There's not the ta-da moment of oh I got it figured out. Oh we have perfect equality. No, we're never going to. But if it can have a small ascension, <laughs> our life can have a small ascension of evolution. That's as good as it gets. Well, the book is called Green Lights. Uh, Matthew McConaughey. Everybody knows who he is. But I'm telling you, this is a funny book. It's an entertaining book. Congratulations on a fantastic accomplishment. Uh, Pick up green lights on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Matthew, what a pleasure. Thanks for coming on today. Absolutely enjoyed it. Look forward to next time. JJ, what a humble, fun, and brilliant guy. He he is very different than most human beings. Yeah. Who have accomplished what he's accomplished. Yeah. Because he seems equally driven, Mm -hmm. but he's not hiding the fact that he's driven. Yeah. He seemed balanced, Mm -hmm. and yet... Balance doesn't happen to many people who've experienced the weirdness yes. <laughs> of his life. Yeah. And by weirdness, I mean, you know, before the interview today, I just ran over to a Mexican restaurant and got tacos like I normally yeah, yeah, do. Yeah. And I'm sitting there by myself eating tacos, thinking about, had his book with me, and I'm thinking about this interview, and I'm thinking, Matthew McConaughey could not walk in here and eat tacos. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> how, you, yeah. how are you balanced yep. when you can't walk into a restaurant and yeah. have tacos, or at least not very easily? And he manages that. I loved what he talked about with the idea of not being impressed with yourself. Because when you're impressed with yourself, then you're up on this pedestal. And you talked about how ultimately then you can't change. You've reached a roof. You can't grow. And yeah, Yeah. and you're not going to be able to go any higher. And so, and then I also loved though that he balanced that with the idea of the, when you talked about midlife crisis, about actually being able to look back and acknowledge the things that you've done recognize the beauty what a, what a, how, of what's how been created. gracious of an, an outlook on life. Most people have midlife crises because they haven't acknowledged their successes. Yeah. That Rather it's than not interesting. something is actually missing from their lives. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful, gracious perspective. I mean, I really could listen to him talk for a long time. He was so present. I mean, I wish people could have seen the video of him just engaging. I mean, I'm sure he, he does. He was taking notes the whole time. Yeah, we were he was taking notes. He could have been all over the place. I'm sure he does hundreds of these interviews. And he was so present and wanting to answer your questions so sincerely and thoughtfully as a way of offering a gift really genuinely to the world and to our listeners. And I was so impressed with that. You know, it, it, you, you become like the people you hang out with. Yeah. And one of the great things about a memoir is you get to hang out with 
somebody. Yeah. We got to hang out with him for 30 minutes, and it was really fun. Yeah. If you are, uh, if you are listening to this and you are an A-level celebrity, call me. We, we were <laughs> glad to have you on the show. Oprah, are yep. you listening? We would love to share uh, Oprah Brad with our Pitt, I think, would be interesting. I'm willing to talk about architecture. I know yep. you're into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, we'd love to have uh, anybody else on, too. <laughs> JJ, another great episode. So great. Well, thanks, as always, for listening to the Building of Story Brand podcast. We're very grateful for everyone out there in our community. And in the spirit of giving thanks, we're closing today's episode with the Thanksgiving song by our friend Ben Rector. He's got a new holiday record out, and he wrote a Thanksgiving song and put it on a Christmas record so you can spin the record a little earlier. You want to check that out. Make sure to check out all of Ben's music on Spotify or Apple Music and have a wonderful and safe holiday. Familiar highways Lying with leaves turn brown Making my way Back into my hometown Funny how this all looks different, but it feels the same Like how life never stops changing, but some things never change So fill your plate and fill your drink and fill this house with family The kind of love that all these years can't wash away Cause the older that I get, I see the life is short and bittersweet Thank God for this Thanksgiving day Watching football Watching families grow The old kids' table All have kids of their own Starting to see my grandfather in my nephew's eyes Mom still can't talk about him and I'd almost cry So fill your plate and fill your drink And fill this house with family The kind of love a thousand miles can't wash away Cause the older that I get I see life is short and bittersweet Thank God for this Thanksgiving day Put your dishes in the kitchen sink And let the leftover year just wash away As we made it through, I do believe The longest year in history Thank God that it's Thanksgiving Day Mm.